0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, My nephew needs me to record. See, I I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to Volcanic Takes. I cannot emphasize the VOL and volcanic takes enough and i am joined as i am every week with ryan shepherd of the ut daily beacon ryan good afternoon sir how are you doing
1: pretty good uh got a little off week for us last week um today And then's COVID stuff but ready to get back talk some tennessee football and see how the Vols can finish out this last four games
0: well it seems like they're they're ecstatic about now ending the season with back-to-back home shellackings to the Florida Gators and Texas A&M Aggies. I think that's exactly what uh, Jeremy Pruitt was looking for to wrap up his 2020 campaign, right?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly not the going to be good for the morale going no. into the off season. But I'll, I'll tell you what is going to be good about it for Tennessee is that that Texas A&M game is now after the early signing period, so with postponals, you know, they can get some of that recruiting class in with you know, maybe not seeing it get quite as bad as it, it could possibly get here towards the end of the season.
0: Do we think Caden Salter is still coming aboard, or do you think he's going to decommit?
1: I think he'll probably stay aboard. Um, that could change a little bit if they make a move away from Chaney, but or Chris Winky really, because I think that's who he's had a, his best relationship with and recruiting, but he's saying all the right things. He's saying he's still committed, and with those quarterbacks, you know, you do see some decommitments, but it's they so certainly don't move as round move around as much as they do in the recruiting processes, other positions.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens there. Um, what do we learn about the Tennessee Volunteers football team in the in the week off? What what do we what do we learn in the last two weeks about this program?
1: Well, I think one you're going to learn is how much confidence they have in Harrison Bailey. Just from you know, I, I kind of think they won't play him tomorrow, but or not start him, excuse me, but. If JG plays bad, I you know, much at all, and they don't make a move, I think that shows that they didn't really get Bailey to where they they wanted him to get in the off season. or excuse me, in the bye week, and they still have a lot of concerns about him, at least in the in the short term. Other than that, I think really more than anything, it'll just Saturday should tell us whether the team is still bought into Pruitt, you know, still fighting for the season, fighting for their coach, and or if they've kind of given in to the, you know, whatever it is now four game losing streak and the. Tough schedule that doesn't make people think it's going to get any better down the stretch.
0: I uh, I don't think it's like I, I don't know if Tennessee fans are prepared. I just, like the people that I've talked to are like, yeah, it's got to be Bailey the rest of the way, right? Especially with the two weeks off. And I'm like, I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be Garantano until he's like ruled out. Like he's going to keep starting Garantano um, until he is officially not uh, able to play. And it's just like the short lease stuff seems like inevitability, but. I don't know. I That just that just seems like a really bad way of going about things, right? Like, just the going into this game for somebody like Garantano, knowing that if he has one bad series that he's getting pulled, I don't see that being good for Garantano.
1: Yeah, and they, the way they handled the whole quarterbacks last year, the way they moved them interchangeably, they had the short leash on Garantano, and they kind of let him watch and consider putting him back in the game. But you really haven't seen him. They've kind of gone away from that this year where it's been, if he's they take him out, it's pretty cut or dry that he's he's done for the time being. I guess the one exception would be the Kentucky game when they gave J.T. Schrout what two plays before he threw an interception. So maybe if they're going to handle it that way, but it, they really haven't handled it that way this season at all. So it is kind of percu- peculiar. And you know, for the Tennessee fans, I'm I think most of them were probably glad the game got canceled last week. But in another sense, it's probably bad for him because I'm not sure Garantano was going to be able to play. He may have been. You know, are able to play healthy just because he practiced on Sunday. But at the very least, he wasn't going to be practicing much of the week. And I think there was a much more likely chance you would have seen Harrison Bailey against Texas A&M last week than maybe you will see him tomorrow.
0: Yeah, and it seems, uh, Garantano was really good in Plains uh, two years ago. Like, his numbers, I was looking back at that, like, he was really good in that game, and it's the same defensive coordinator, is still there, same coach, Miles on. Like, I wonder if that's part of their thinking, too, is that he actually had a lot of success against uh, Auburn two years ago.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that was certainly, I guess that game and the Missouri game last year were definitely 1A, 1B. Garantano's best games at Tennessee, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that, We've talked about Tennessee's inability to create chunk plays. That's what they did so well on that day. I had the exact stat. My keys and prediction story today that me and Ryan Cruz had. I think it was ten passes they had over twenty yards that game, with a lot of them coming on third down. So
0: different. They're era. really
1: able to. Yeah, and that's you know where we've seen them really struggle with trying to replace Mark West Callaway and Juwan Jennings. Both those guys had. I think I know Callaway had th- two catches over twenty yards that game. I think. Jennings had two as well, and then Palmer had a couple. So they had big play, strong back shoulder, physical receivers who could go up and high point the ball that they really don't have on this team besides Palmer. Obviously, we talked about Jalen Hyatt a good, good bit on this podcast, and he's kind of got that over-to-the-top explosive threat, but not as much to go throw it up and give your receiver a chance to make a tough catch, which is that game and really a lot of Garantano's success that he's had as a quarterback have come in those situations.
0: Who do you think at the wide receiver spot um, steps up in the biggest way this weekend? Who do you think has the biggest game?
1: Well, I'd say it's cheating just because he's the obvious answer. I would say Josh Palmer. Um, But besides that, you know, I would go Jalen Hyatt or maybe Brandon Johnson just because Brandon Johnson's one of the few guys that has shown some pretty strong flashes. Now he hasn't been very consistent, but he's made some good plays obviously to really insane one-handed catch he had against South Carolina he had a couple good plays in that Georgia game as well and he's been quiet since then so he's really the one guy I would say obviously Jalen Hyatt I think has certainly has that potential but he's just a little bit more of a boomer bust guy so besides Palmer which feels like the obvious answer I'll go with Brandon Johnson
0: Brandon Johnson's bold you know who's not bold and we can go ahead and do a red red pin cross through uh our guy we're way too hard on this podcast But uh, Mr. Keaton, I'm going to go ahead and say he doesn't. uh, He is not the difference maker on Saturday. Something tells me that's not going to be the case. Yeah,
1: no. He. Well, you think about looking at going into the season. The receivers that Palmer was the only proven guy, and there was some buzz about D'Angelo Gibbs from last year, but Mm -hmm. he obviously decided to opt out before the season. And you kind of looked. Did he decide to opt out?
0: Wasn't there other stuff going on there? I don't know if that was his decision.
1: Yeah. Well. I don't think Tennessee was too upset that he made that decision to opt out, but that was the, the company line per se mm-hmm. that he decided to opt out. Again, I don't think Tennessee was too crushed or surprised by his decision to opt to opt out. I'll put quotes around it. Okay. But then you start you know, you start looking at Tennessee's receivers and Romel Keaton was a guy I was pretty high on, I thought would have a, a real good season and obviously we I think it was two weeks ago before Arkansas when we talked about it's just baffling how him and Caratana, whether it's him dropping some passes or Garantano just being really inaccurate. They just and have not the worst chemistry really, of any
0: quarterback-receiver duo in a long time <laughs> at Tennessee. It's just like, yeah. they're hot and cold. It just doesn't work.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it, exactly. And Keaton, he's not elite at it, but he's really better at creating separation than a lot of the receivers on the Tennessee roster are, which has been a major, major problem with this, with this offense, the receiving group, not being able to get any separation. And he can do it a little bit better, but I mean, like, like you just said, just horrible chemistry between him and Garantano and they've never been able to get on the same page. And there's little reason to think that's something that's going to happen going into tomorrow night.
0: You know what it is? I think I've solved the Keaton Garantano dynamic. I I think I've solved it, Ryan.
1: All right. Let let me hear it.
0: Who was uh, Mr. Keaton's quarterback in high school?
1: Mr. Harrison Bailey.
0: Who is not under center right now for, uh. For the Tennessee Volunteers,
1: number fifteen from Marietta, Georgia, Harris, Harrison Bailey.
0: What if he's tanking to get his uh, old quarterback on the field? What if he's just like, I already have my guy; he's on the roster. Like, I have my chemistry guy; he's right there. How am I supposed to like? Why am I having to re reintroduce myself to a new quarterback? No, give me Harrison Bailey. We already have played together. I was a four star. He's a four star. Let's just let's roll.
1: I I think that's yeah, I think you're onto something. Jalen Hyatt, now he hasn't had the, the drop problem. That,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, well, he, he hasn't has had the targets to have a is,
0: drop problem. <laughs>
1: yeah. His his uh, his role in the playbook right now has basically been screen pass, fly route, deep post. That's, a, that's about all they've been asking him to do. But Jalen Hyatt, when he had a media availability actually last week, talked about going during quarantine to Marietta and working out with Harrison Bailey and how impressed he was with them. and probably thought he had something special there so you know it could maybe it's a full coup inside the inside the receiver room to try to try to get to Harrison Bailey
0: you can't roll it out you can't roll him out um I when I was thinking about how this game has to go for Tennessee to win on Saturday um I think it has to go like the Missouri game I think it has to be where Missouri was just like Basilak was awesome and Came back in that second half and did a lot of stuff that Bo Nix will probably try and do. Not going to take a lot of deep shots, do a lot of dinking and dunking teams to death. Like they play a lot of the same way. It's just Auburn's defense is a little bit better and Bo Nix is a little bit better than uh, Basilak. But um, and there's just more town on the edge and guys like that. But I I wonder if they can recreate what they did in that second game of the season. This after losing four straight, and that Auburn team is just very different than where Missouri was at that point. But like when I lay out what has to happen for tennessee to actually have a shot at winning on the road at auburn it's like everything that happened in the missouri game has to happen in this instance i think is that is that fair
1: yeah i think the game plan has got to be pretty similar and it it really starts on defense at the line of scrimmage i think because auburn does have an advantage a receiver with Schwartz and seth williams i think those are guys that are going to give tennessee problems so I, i i would agree with that assessment and then Offensively, I think that's kind of similar. Similar. Now, Tennessee was very bland in that game of just, they knew they could run it against Missouri, and they, they weren't going to do anything besides run it. Um, so I think they got to hit some, some chunk plays on offense, too. But as a whole, I think the recipe is, is pretty similar. I would agree.
0: Um, Tennessee's offensive line. They currently rank 93rd. In college football and sack rate, and 82nd in power success rate. Do you see that changing against Auburn's front seven?
1: Not particularly. I mean, I'd say Auburn's front seven is probably about in the middle of what Tennessee's played so far, maybe middle to t- top. Um, so, I mean, I really don't have a ton of reasons to think it would change. Now, I will say I think the pass protection has been better the past few games going back to the Alabama game. Now they haven't thrown the ball a ton how much did they throw of all Saturday affects that. So the pass protection maybe be a little bit better, but in a power run game, you know, creating more space, I have a hard time thinking you're going to see any huge jumps from that number.
0: And their last four games, the Vols have given up 193, 187, 170 and 198 yards in the ground. Um, what is the coaching staff said about what's happened to their, their run defense? Because like going into the year, we were more worried about their pass defense and like with Taylor and Thompson and just the depth they had back there versus up front where we thought with Henry Totoa leading everything and and DeAndre Johnson on the outside that like oh they should be they should be good at the very least at stopping the run and maybe we'll get burned a little bit deep and stuff like that but like ultimately they should be good there and instead they've just been really bad in this four game losing streak at just not being able to stop anybody on the ground what uh what do you think is the problem and what does the coaching staff said?
1: Yeah, I mean, the coaching staff, you know, it's a lot of coach speech, you know, execution, all that stuff. But, I mean, I think what speaks louder than anything is you had basically every key defensive lineman return from that team. Granted, you had them at Gooden get kicked off the team this offseason for some off field issues, but you had basically everybody back, and you saw the defensive line coach get fired three weeks into the season in a defensive line play that's played very bad this season. So I think that's where it starts at. Those guys just. They've been below average. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. They haven't been very good. They've played a lot worse than they did the second half of the season last year. Now, some of that makes it easy because you knew Kentucky wasn't going to pass. You knew Vanderbilt couldn't pass. You knew Indiana couldn't pass a whole lot. So, it was easier to hone in on the run. But I think that's a big problem. And the other thing I'd say is neither Jeremy Banks or Quavar's Crouch have been as good in the run game as I as I thought they would be. I knew – The struggles they've had in the passing game, not surprising to me. Two guys that did not play a whole lot of inside linebacker, guys that were running back in high school. Jeremy Banks came in as a running back. But I thought in the downhill running game between the tackles, those are both big guys. I thought they would be really better than they've they've been.
0: Yeah, and I just don't see there being anybody on the the roster right now that's going to alleviate that. So Tank Bigsby, it seems like, is a matchup problem for Tennessee. But you're like... Why is this so concerning for Tennessee? But it's like Auburn's not fretting about Eric Gray, and they should, because Eric Gray is just should be a Swiss Army knife that scares every defense every week. And it just seems like he does a bunch of great stuff. He was amazing in that first half against Arkansas, but then we saw how things change in a hurry in the second half. But like Eric Gray should put fear in Kevin Steele's mind in this defense's mind, but it feels like he is just not unlocked, and it's going to be very annoying when he. Is awesome in the NFL. And we're all like, why? Why was this not happening every Saturday? Why did it not feel like he was a all-purpose machine that uh, opposing defenses just couldn't have an answer for?
1: Yeah, it's. Well, I mean, it's twofold. I think one, the more obvious one is, I just don't think they're necessarily using him in the right roles. You know, he's very much trying to play a physical downhill running style, which is, I mean, that's just not what he does. That's just not his game. And you've seen that in Arkansas game. I mean, he played. All right, but longest run in that game was, I think, 12 yards. And when they use him that way, he hasn't been, and that's the part I'd say is his fault. He needs to get a little stronger. He needs to be a little bit better at breaking tackles in the second, third level. we at the grade against safeties or linebackers. But then it goes back to they just haven't really used him in the way that he's, he's fit to be used. Some of that's hard when you have a quarterback. You know, a way to Eric Gray would be really good is getting the ball in space, similarly to how. The Saints used Camara and how Tennessee used Camara a little bit when he was here. But when you have Derek Garantano and you're trying to run very pro-style offense, it just doesn't necessarily relate to his skills. And I don't think they've done a whole lot of adjusting to the talent base that he has and kind of using his skills to, like you said, threaten defenses and put fear in defense coordinators.
0: In your estimation... With a few games left to go, do you think this whole staff is back next year? Especially when you consider the pay stuff.
1: Yeah, not not a chance. I'd be shocked if the whole staff is back. I mean, absolutely shocked. And the pay stuff said, you know, even more.
0: What do you know about, about that, right that
1: than now? Not a ton, other than what Pruitt said, and what Pruitt said was another thing that made me think. He talked about renegotiating contracts and there's a lot of other ways for those guys to help give back to the university. And to me, that sounded like guys the road this January. Now I don't have any insight on that. That's just kind of connecting the dots, reading the tea leaves. So the way Pruitt talked about that mixed with those guys, not taking the pay cuts when everyone else in the football facility that wasn't on big salary was forced to take the pay cuts. That's a, doesn't seem like a decision you make for the most part if you're confident you're going to be coming back and you're going to be at Tennessee in the long run working with those same people who know that you didn't take a pay cut and you're and they did take a pay cut hat we're forced to take a pay cut I would add to
0: it was interesting I think it was David Ubin of the athletic who wrote about this with the pay cut stuff is that like it shouldn't come as a surprise that T Martin and Jay Graham are the ones who took it and understood what was going on here and the people that are losing their jobs in the university and the departments and people who are having to take pay cuts versus the outsiders in knoxville being the ones who are resistant who there was already rumblings about their outsider status and not really getting the university aspect and the knoxville aspect of things um i do you think there's anything to that of just like the disconnect between the the staff members who just don't have a lot of strong ties to the area versus the the T Martins who do and understood what was going on and maybe had a little bit more understanding of how to do this and how it would be received because of their familiarity?
1: You know, I think maybe a little bit on the how it would be received because I imagine those assistants that didn't take the pay cut, that they didn't think there would be quite as much of an outlash, but... Mm. At the same time, it's hard for me to think they, you know, it's, it's COVID-19, you know, we're both in college and we understand the situation It you know, it's not very difficult to grasp that these athletic departments are losing tons and tons of money that they usually have coming in. So not from that end. And I would say from the sense of Graham and T. Martin taking the pay cuts, it, that just, you know, shows, obviously they're very familiar with the university. They have a commitment to the university farther than just getting back They played pay-check.
0: there and they were great there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And they, you know. T. Martin, I think, is pretty good friends with Kelly Harper, a women's basketball coach. And just naturally, they know more people across the athletic department. They know people up higher up in the athletic department that the regular assistant coaches probably don't know. So in the sense of them having boots on the ground, you know, really caring about their university, I think that on. And I think the other guys didn't take a pay cut probably in a sense didn't expect the outlash. But it's hard for me to think they didn't understand the – financial situation going on at UT right now
0: not a good look at all um Very not bad. a good look and that is not what Jim, this
1: Jim Cheney's the one I would say especially that's just a terrible look because he's the guy you hear all about he loves Knoxville he wants to retire here so you think he has plans to stay here a long time and to be the highest paid office coordinator in the country and for the offense to be just as abysmal as it is that's just a lack of self-awareness really of like nothing I've ever seen before.
0: It's not great. Um, not great. Not what you want to hear going into uh, a bye week, essentially. But, um, yeah, uh, what are your what are your predictions for this weekend? What do you think ultimately happens on Saturday? Yeah, I had
1: Auburn 28, Tennessee 17. It's my score prediction.
0: Mm. Right I about, think Tennessee so they barely the- cover. You have Auburn barely covering.
1: Yeah, I have Auburn barely co- covering. I think, I think the win by two scores is my you know i don't know if it'll be 9 points or se- or 17 points whatever but somewhere in or 16 points i guess that's just some bad math um somewhere in that range it's hard i don't think tennessee gets blown out but i don't think they're in it late into the fourth quarter either
0: this will probably come back to bite me but i think tennessee's going to win this game i think we i mean this is a, this is it this is it like I really thought that there was no way this coaching staff would get dismantled if they finish 3 and 7 like there'd be some changes but like they lose this one the Vanderbilt game's going to be a shootout because Vanderbilt's offense and their defense has improved a little bit they're they're frisky like they're terrible but they're frisky terrible <laughs> and it's on the road in Vanderbilt like it wouldn't the fact that it wouldn't stun me if they're in a dogfight fight with Vanderbilt in the fourth quarter um next week which is a problem um they're losing to texas a&m in florida like those are gone and that's just gonna yeah. be like we talked about the morale aspect of like what they went into last year winning and playing a really weak schedule down the stretch like they had a really great benefit of the doubt stuff there they don't have that this year and this is year three and the the pay cut stuff and the way the offense looks and like fans just calling him what do they call him Hugh Freeze is Christ. Is that what I'm saying a lot for the go? Like, they're just, Tennessee fans are all about Hugh Freeze right now. They're all about making a change. They just can't, they're looking around at other SEC teams. You're hearing Nick Saban talk about offense wins championships. And you look at what this team looks like offensively, and you're just like, oh my God. And just bad coaching, bad timeout usage, not kicking field goals, and they should kick field goals. Like, it's just all around bad. This is it. Like, you have to come out with two weeks off against this Auburn team that's still, they're improving, but they're not great. Like, this Auburn team is beatable, and this offense still has huge question marks. This is the game to come back and beat. Like, this is your moment. Like, if you want to save everything, you have to beat Auburn.
1: Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. Just from three and seven, there's no way you, you look at the season and say it's anything but an unmitigated disaster. Like I think Four, Pruitt really six. does
0: get fired if they go three and seven. I really do.
1: I think some of that would depend on how things look. You know, if you're competitive in some of the games.
0: I mean, I don't think they're going to be competitive game, in those com- last two. Yeah,
1: I, <laughs> again, I, don't, I don't see them being. Com- I don't see them being competitive against a And M. Just because they can't score enough points, but if they're competitive in the Auburn game. Beat Vanderbilt pretty handedly. I think he'll still be back just because I don't think Fuller wants to fire him. So I really think Fulmer is gonna to have to see something bad, extra bad, to make him get fired. Because at this point, you know, Fulmer's he's smart enough of a guy to know that Tennessee is probably not gonna probably Tennessee's staring down the barrel of a three and seven season. And I still think him knowing that he doesn't wanna make a move. So I think things would have to look particularly bad, which they certainly could. I'm not I'm not saying they couldn't, but uh I think if things would really have to spiral more than just uh, the loss, but with the score on the scoreboard as well.
0: I'm going to say Tennessee wins 27-7. to 7. I think we're going to see like one of the best defensive outputs from Tennessee this season. That's going to be my guess. I think yep. they control a line of scrimmage. I think the offensive line finally plays above where they're supposed to be this week. And I think we get the most complete Jarrett Garantano game since Missouri. That's what I'm going to guess. And I'm just going to will this into the atmosphere. I'm going to push this out and see what happens because if that's not the case and they pull Garantano and and it's just a mess, I, I don't know. I I just think this is going to get off the rails and really bad really quickly for the rest of the season. Um, Basketball though, to, to end on a happier note than recent weeks, Ryan, um, Tennessee opens next week. Um, against Charlotte. I'm very annoyed they're opening on Wednesday instead of Tuesday because I'm going home to Atlanta for a couple of days for Thanksgiving, so I'm not going to be there for the the Charlotte, uh, Vols game. But uh, what do you make of the season? And uh, do you uh, do you believe that Tennessee deserves to be the preseason SEC favorites?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think they do, just because there isn't really anyone that proven that should be in that spot. Kentucky, it brings back nine percent of its production from last year. Who? I mean, you go back and look at it. Kentucky's picked to win that thing just about every year. Obviously, they're the best. Florida, Kentucky are all all good teams as well that will be top tier. But I think I think Tennessee has a good team that's going to be very capable of it. They have John Fulkerson, who's a proven guy that can get you 15, 20 points a game pretty easily and, Mike Schwartz, the associate head coach, was talking to the media on Thursday and talking about how much Fulkerson's really expanded this game in the offseason. But so overall I think you know, I'm pretty high on this team. I think we're gonna rank preseason number twelve is pretty fair. I think they're right in that ten to fifteen range. They gotta figure some things out. They gotta they got a lot of a lot of guys who can play point guard. I don't think they really have a true point guard set in zone, so they gotta figure that out. But they have the talent, and a couple interesting tests next week with Charlotte and VCU. Neither of those teams are great, but neither of them are really horrible either. Games that I would expect to be, you know, 10- to 15-point spreads. Charlotte in particular could be interesting, though. They have a, Their head coach is a Tony Bennett disciple. So he's a pack-line defense guy, and that's another question on this team. I think Tennessee has probably got three guys that they feel good about as three-point shooters, so I can see that game getting mucked up a little bit and Tennessee being a little sloppy in the first game and it being – closer than people think but as a whole it should be a good first test and I mean it's crazy to say we're we're 10 days away from that game in Indianapolis against Gonzaga who's number one preseason and then two days later they go up and play at Notre Dame who will probably be a NCAA tournament bubble team so in two next two weeks we're going to figure out a lot about this team and obviously I'm just hoping college basketball gets off the ground and doesn't have too much cancellations and postponements some of that's probably inevitable but I'm excited for the season for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, Kansas will be at Tennessee this year, right? They're playing Kansas. At, at they home. will be. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, January 30th.
0: There you yeah. go. I'm excited, and then the Knoxville Ice Bears I think are coming back in January, so that's also very important.
1: Yeah, what's the uh, what's the protocol? Are fans going to be allowed in the Novik's Knoxville Civic Center this year for Ice Bears games? Have, I, have we heard?
0: I, I they better. They better.
1: I mean, it's an electric. It's an electric environment <laughs> when when they have them in there. I mean, it's. I try to get to a game or two every year. It's it's, it's some fun stuff. So hopefully hopefully they're allowing fans.
0: Yeah, there you go. Maybe we'll go. Maybe we'll go. Um, all yeah, right, we'll man. Catch one. Well, that's all I've got. Uh, how do the good folks find you on Twitter and uh, all your work?
1: Yeah. At, R-Shump, S-C-H-U-M-P-00 on Twitter. I post all my work on there and uh, had a lot of stuff out. Actually, last week was our basketball preview. So if you're looking to preview the team, all that stuff's still on our page. It's about a week old. About eight articles on the, the Vols basketball team and about seven on the Lady Vols basketball team. Everything you need to get ready for the season. So check it out on utdailybeacon.com.
0: All right. Go do that. Keep up the great work, my friend. And uh, be safe on the road and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, as always. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.